So we are back, and um, I think what we ended with last time was a suggestion to read the seven letters, just chapters two and three, and to see what we come up with, what you notice that's interesting, that repeats, that sticks out to you. So I don't know if you had a chance to do that or not. If not, that's fine. But I wanted to start with that. Any, any thoughts or anything that came to you from reading or from listening? I know Bev uh, Kaczynski was telling me she was listening to the, to the book, and that was an interesting experience for her. She's not here, though. I was curious to see what she came up with this week. But any, any thoughts about the seven letters? As, as, huh? I was going to say, I like that they, he always gave positive affirmations, which is so good. You know, that's what, mm. Yeah, most of them, most of them, there's a couple that don't have any positive, but, oh, really? no, I but I think, I think five or six of them, they, they all do, so. So I just mentioned you, Bev. Uh-oh. You didn't escape. I was just, I was just asking now what people had felt that they learned or heard from in the seven letters. And you had been listening to the to the book as a whole. So just ask anything that stuck out from the seven letters as we begin just to get our wheels turning, the engine warmed up this morning. We're going to look at those two chapters today as much as we can. So things that may be repeated, things that stuck out to you, things that you hadn't noticed, things that confused you, etc. Just any anything. Go ahead, Joe. Mm-hmm. Where the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, quick, dividing the soul. And that's an image. I'm not sure you mentioned. Yeah, no, that was another. That's another place that talks about the word of God as a sword. In that case, it can split, not just hairs, but it can split spirit, spiritual sword. Yeah, it goes all the way down to the depth of of the issue of the reality. So it has a revealing, I guess you would say it's almost like a revealing kind of implication. Yeah, there's one letter out of the seven where uh, Jesus is described as the one who has that sword as he speaks. And uh, the idea from last week was just the tone of that was more of a heavier, serious, weightier tone. Not like a neutral, oh, that's just an interesting image. No, it was meant to be more, there's something that's going to be difficult to hear. That was the idea behind the sword image. It's good. Yeah. And, that, and then when we get to the seven letters, most of them all have issues that Jesus is not happy with. So it matches really well the vision. Yeah, so if you notice that every single letter begins with to the angel of such and such uh, of a church. And the question has always been, what does that refer to? Does it refer to an angelic being? Or does it refer to maybe the one who's going to communicate the letter to each church? The letter carrier, like a human letter carrier? So that's always been a question. What, what exactly? Is it the pastor? Yeah, or is it, or is it the pastor, the one who's going to... 
end up communicating. Yeah, so that, those are actually the possibilities that people have thrown out there, is that this could be the human represent, repre representative that's going to talk to them, or it really can be the one who represents the church before God, and it could be an angelic being in that case for each church. That, that's kind of up in the air, and this would be really the only place, you know, that we would have something of that nature, that a church has a angelic representative. So uh, it could be, could not... We don't want to put a whole a whole lot of of that since it's just not explained to us. But it's a possibility, really, that that we have uh, someone watching over us. There are things like that. There's an angel in Daniel that watches over Israel, that kind of watches over them. There are angels that do different things. So that that would be within the realm of of possibility that we have we have helpers out there that we can't see that are fighting for us, cheering for us, protecting us in different ways. Anything else in the letters that you guys thought was, was interesting? Yeah, Pam? Well, revelation is revealing. And this is the bigger revealing of who Christ is. It struck me that at the start of each letter, he reveals an aspect of who he, Jesus, is. These are the words of, and gives a different defining of who he actually is. <coughs> So okay. Like, this is Jesus talking. This is, you know, he's saying specifically, like you said about the, the double-edged sword, that if you look at each of the, um, your eyes are blazing fire, his feet are varnished bronze, um, who holds the seven spirits, um, who is holy and true. Like each one is, is just building upon who revealing to us he actually is okay maybe we can start off with that I, I wrote up in blue as we're thinking about the letters that the letters basically follow a very similar each one is essentially the same in, in how it outlines itself and each one begins with that a different characteristic about Jesus just like Pam said I don't know if you notice that usually the very first line so in for so the very first verse of chapter 2, after it, after it says to the angel of the church, then that, the first words of Jesus there, he describes himself in a specific way. So to Ephesus, it's him who holds the seven stars and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. And each one, so if you jump to the one in Smyrna in verse 8, verse 8 says the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. Then you jump to verse 12, the words of him who has a sharp uh, two-edged sword. There's the one that we were talking about. Each one has a different characteristic of Jesus. So what's interesting to note about that is that each description of Jesus matches something from chapter 1. So it's not like a, a new random thing coming out of nowhere. One thing to just note about that is that the chapters are tied together. Yeah, so there's, there's structure, there's intention. That means we can look at details and think about them, right? Because we're starting to see things that repeat, things that connect. So the vision of Jesus in chapter 1 is deeply connected to the chapters 2 and 3. And in addition to that, I don't know if you picked up on this, but uh, every, every letter starts off with a greeting about Jesus. And the greeting is connected to the message that he gives to them. In other words, it's not just, oh, here's something to know about Jesus. Now that I got that out of the way, let me tell you what I wanted to tell you. It, the, the, 
it's, it's closely tied together. So there's an aspect about Jesus that's revealed that makes some connection to the message that he's giving to the church. Some are clearer than others, but look, look at this example from um, the second letter. So the second letter, verses 8 through 11, the, the church uh, in Smyrna, the description of Jesus is the words of the first and last who died and came to life. Some stuff to do with death and life. And it just so happens that to that church, he's telling them, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. There's a clear connection there with, with who he is and the message that he's giving to that church. Do you, <clears throat> do you see that? So verse 10 says, don't fear what you're about to suffer. The devil is going to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days you'll have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. And then at the end, the very last phrase is, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. So the life and death theme is in the letter, and it so happens that the beginning of the letter, he describes himself as the one who has died and come to life again. So, so it's, not a, it's not a coincidence. It's not random. All, all the letters, they're going to be connected to each other. And when you start noticing structure and pattern, then that means we can look for meaning. Right in those places, we go. Oh, it's probably not a random that he's saying to, to the Eph to the Ephesian church in verse one, the one who holds seven stars and who walks among the lampstands. That means it's going to be relevant to the message that he's going to give to the church. Does that does that make sense? What I'm saying that there's meaning there. It's not just a oh we'll think about that and then we'll move on. No, we we hold it together and we think about oh how does that relate to what he's telling each church? So each church has a greeting, very purposeful about Jesus, and then usually it's followed with, I know. Every single letter he says, I know. I know. I know you. I know where you live. I know what you're going through. I know what's happening. So that's in every letter. I know, I know, I know. And then more often than not, right after he says, I know what's going on, he says, here's the good things that I'm seeing that are happening, I'm really, that I'm really happy about, that I'm pleased. I know that you're doing this well. I know what you're going through, how you've endured. I know what you've suffered. I know that you remain faithful. I know that, etc. <clears throat> and then after that, he usually says, but here's the issue we need to work on. You know, I have a problem with this. Sometimes he says it really harshly, like, this is awful. I can't believe you're, you're dealing with this. So sometimes he doesn't even have a positive one. There's, I think, two churches who have no positives happening, and Jesus is just straight up, I know you, and I know that you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead inside. You know, you need to change that. So there's a, a rebuke or a correction. And then there's usually, I put the word coming there. There's usually a sense where Jesus says, I'm going to visit you if, if things don't change. I'm going to come to you specifically. He's not talking about his coming at the end of time. He's talking about a visit to that church for their time period, for their generation, for their challenge. He says, I'm going to come visit you. And if you don't repent, when I visit you, it won't be a good it won't be a good thing. I'm paraphrasing. But he says, I'll have to come with a sword. Maybe I'll come and I will punish you or judge you. Or I'll just, in Ephesians, the threat is, I'm going to remove your light. We'll talk about maybe what that means. But we have coming. And then each church has the, the two bottom parts. Uh, where Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. Have you noticed, did you notice that when you read? Every single letter ends with, he who has ears, let him hear. Did we, all, did we notice that? <clears throat> if you didn't, you can take all of our words for it. It is, it is there. 
And then there's another phrase, uh, he who overcomes, and then each church has a unique blessing if they overcome. So I wanted to talk about all of that as well as Ephesians. So it's a big task for us today. Just talk about just, just the idea that all of these things are in each letter, usually, so you can look for them. And you'll, you'll, again, you'll notice that the very description of Jesus is related to the message. They're all, it's a very neat letter. Each church gets a very unique letter with a unique message. <clears throat> Any questions about that before we begin looking at Ephesians? Or, it, or yeah, or any question? I might we might want to want to look at one of these. I think it might be helpful before we get started. I think I'm gonna I want to look at the phrase "let him hear." But before I do that, is there anything that we just looked at in terms of that structure of a letter? It's kind of an abstract thing, you know, talking about structure of a letter. But it just helps us understand that when we notice that you'll you'll see that things make more sense together. They they work together. Okay, great. Um, just like last week, we looked at the vision of Jesus with him having a sword coming out of his mouth as symbolic, that he has something pointed to say that will judge the churches. This last phrase, let, uh, not last, but this, the, the second to last part of each letter, let him hear, is in the same vein and adds weight. Right. So when, when we hear that phrase, he who has ears, let him hear. I'm going to ask the question again. When you hear that, or when you read that, does, what, does it, what does it do to you? Do you go, oh, okay. Is it, is it kind of like a neutral nothing? I would call it a nothing burger. Like it doesn't, doesn't do much for you. Or is it something that, that strikes you as like, oh my goodness. Or is it more like, oh, well, that's wonderful. Maybe it doesn't register at all. Does that phrase do anything in your mind? <clears throat> To me, it says, pay attention. Okay. A baseline, that's exactly it. And I put uh, exclamation point at the end of that one because it's supposed to be, pay attention. Listen to what I'm telling you. So after I've given you the letter, listen to it. Go back and pay attention to it. Reread it if you have to. Or I say you should reread it. So that's good. Uh, anything else? Jesus said that a lot when he would give a parable. Okay. This, this exact phrase seems to be something Jesus himself um, made. Like it's attributed to him in the Bible. No one says it exactly like this. So it's, it's a Jesus thing. It almost should remind us of like, if they're reading it in their, their early first century, whatever, they're, they're thinking about this. Like this is the type of stuff Jesus would say when he was here all the time. When he taught us parables, he would say this, especially after parables. He would say, he who has an ear, let him hear what I'm saying. So it is, it's not just pay attention. It's like, think about what I'm telling you. There's something, there's something beneath the surface. If you're willing to sit and think about it and reflect on it, there's something there. So here's the example of that. It's in Mark 4, the parable of the sower. I, just, I want you to be able to look at it with your eyes and your fingers so we're not just making this up for you. But uh, throughout the Gospels, this one is just as clear as day, but... In Matthew, and Mark, and Luke, especially those three, Jesus says this often. We can only imagine he said it even more times than we have it in the Bible. But in Matthew, uh, Mark 4, sorry, in chapter yeah, 4, he, gives, he begins with the parable of the sower, and after he tells the parable, his conclusion in verse 9 is, and he said, 
he who has ears, let him hear. And obviously, it's not just he who can hear me. He who, he who isn't deaf, let him listen to the sound of my voice. He's not saying that, right? He's saying, pay very close attention to what I'm telling you. And this, so this phrase, although Jesus is the one who trademarks it, it seems to have background to it that goes even before Jesus with the prophets. And so there is an exclamation point, and then we'll go even further than just an exclamation point. It's almost like a warning. If you don't listen to this, you're in trouble. So we'll go to uh, Ezekiel. This is where I think we see it easiest. It's not word for word, but you're, you're going to, uh, I think, appreciate that it's the similar idea. So it's very possible that Jesus, also a reader, studier of the Old Testament, is reading the prophets and bringing some things together. So this, this phrase of ears and hearing, the most famous one is actually Isaiah 6, and that is where I, God says to Isaiah, go to this people and keep speaking to them so that though hearing with their ears, they, they don't understand, and though seeing with their eyes, they don't get it. So that, that, that's a very strong Im imagery. And some, something very similar with Ezekiel, chapter 3, when Ezekiel, this is part still of his calling, the early part of the book, it's called to be a prophet for God. He's kind of compared as a watchman. And God gives him a pretty strong responsibility to bring the message to the people, almost telling him, if you don't bring this message, part of this is on you too, Ezekiel. It's not just on the people for being disobedient. But if you don't share the news that I'm giving you, the watchman also holds responsibility. But towards the end of this moment in chapter 3, I'll read this paragraph so that we can see how similar it is to the, to the book of John. So chapter 3, the second half of the chapter, verse 22 and on, I will read this last paragraph. So uh, Ezekiel says, And the hand of the Lord was upon me there, and he said to me, Get up and go into the valley, and there I will speak with you. So I arose and went out into the valley, and behold, the glory of the Lord stood there, like the glory that I had seen by the Chabar Canal, and I fell on my face. But the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and he spoke with me and said to me, Go, shut yourself within your house. And you, son of man, behold, cords will be placed upon you, and you shall be bound with them, so that you cannot go out among the people. And I will make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth, so that you shall be mute and un unable to reprove them, for they are a rebellious house. Be, but when I speak with you, then I will open your mouth, and you have to say to them, Thus says the Lord, He who will hear, let him hear. And he who will refuse to hear, let him refuse, for they are a rebellious house. And so what's the, the, the vision is God saying, I'm going to shut you up, and then I'm going to let you loose. And you need to say what I'm telling you. right? You need to let that out to the people. Thus says the Lord. Uh, and you're doing that because they're rebellious. They need to hear God's word. And they need to either reject it or accept it. In the case of Ezekiel, they're going to reject it. God, God knows that. And so like the end conclusion is just, he who has ears, let him hear them. Right? So he who is paying attention, he needs to pay attention. It's like, it's like a warning, prophetic warning. So this is strong language, just like Jesus being the one who has the sword in his mouth. The end of each letter has this prophetic warning He's saying, listen, I'm not kidding. Look at the history of how I've dealt with God's people. When I've spoken, I have meant it. 
and their rejection of my word had consequences. So it brings all this weight to the letter of the churches that Jesus is not just simply saying, you know what, it's not going well, but just keep trying. It's okay. I love you guys. It's just, you know, I know life is hard. It's not like that. It's a very strong, I know what's going on, and if it doesn't change, there will be consequences. Right? That's, that's the weight of the words. I know you. I know where you are. I know the good, but this bad stuff cannot go on. I will not tolerate this. So it's a tough kind of love that we hear from Jesus, and the end of it is also a reaffirmation of that. Listen to what I'm telling you. And then there's the promise of blessing. So each letter is heavy. It's got meaning, and so it's worthwhile taking the message from the letters of the churches. So let's go to the first one in Ephesians, and uh, we'll try to keep the themes of each one and see if we can highlight maybe some different things that we haven't seen before or, or not. We'll, just, we'll, we'll definitely take more time on Ephesus than on the other ones just to get a feel for how, how should we pay attention to the details of each letter because we don't want to spend too much time on the seven letters and forget that the whole book is a letter, right? This is just the, the beginning of the letter to the churches, is that each one is going to get called out to a specific degree. All right, so I'll read the letter to Ephesus uh, as a whole, and we'll let that, we'll let that sink in, and then we'll, we'll, go, we'll go in through to the details of this letter. So to the angel, this is Revelation 2, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand walks among the seven golden lampstands. Chew on that, because that has to be tied into the, to the message. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you just cannot bear with those who are evil. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. So I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I do have this thing against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent. Do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. There's a connection with the one who walks among the lampstands, right? Unless you repent. Yet this you have, you, you do hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also happen to hate. So he who has an, an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Don't you feel like you're a little bit out of it when you read a letter like that? Like some things stick out and are easy, right? The, this letter, the first love, is always picked out as the message, but think about some of the details in this letter. It makes me feel like, what is, what is he talking about? Like he talks about, okay, uh, whom conquers, I'm going to grant them to eat of the tree of life, which by the way is in the paradise of God. It's, it's, it's like, this isn't talked about almost anywhere in the Bible, and then it's just here. It's just part of this letter to the Ephesian church. You know, just this theme shows up almost out of nowhere. We don't know <coughs> what it was that they abandoned. We, it feels like there's a distance here between us and that church that we have to piece together. What is conquering about? Like, there's a lot of question marks when I, when I read through the letter and I think about it. And so uh, the greeting is attached to something that um, Jesus says to them. 
and then their challenge is also connected to that. So we'll, we'll work our way through that. The first one, the one who holds the seven stars and walks among the lampstands. What does that teach us about God? You know, we, Pam, you did say that each one reveals us, to us aspects about Jesus. What does that reveal to us about Jesus? What, is that, what do you think that is trying to get across? And yes, this is a little bit of a guessing game. We do guess and we consider. This is, there, there is no solid black and white answer for, for this type of writing. We do, we do have to think about it. So <clears throat> guesses are welcome, whether you feel comfortable with your guess or not. Shoot it out there. What, what, is, what do you think that that means? you <clears throat> keep pushing into we're talking we're trying to figure out what does the description reveal about Jesus and we are indirectly reflected that he, in that, that and you, spirit, you said it yes yeah. yeah and we we know where the lamp stands because he said it at the end of the first chapter in case there was any confusion he's like oh the seven lamp stands that's the seven churches so so yes the imagery is we are the lamp stands and so there are two verbs here in, in this in this verse the words of him who it says who holds yeah, so we'll, whatever the, those are, those are the two things that we're being told that Jesus does. And you're right, the walking among the lampstand definitely seems to communicate, he's with us, but he's present. Also, but is that also him walking through us? The walking? Yes. Very possibly. Walking, like we are, as, he, as we're walking, yeah. he's walking through like us. And this would this would all be valid, yeah. I think I think this would all be be valid. So think about what we're looking at. Uh, he's revealed as the one with linen. He's described priest-like with a robe, and then this specific letter. He's walking among, around, in inside the lampstands. So my guess would be not just that like they're moving with him, like walking with him, but more so the intimacy. He's, he's, right, he's right with the churches. We don't see him with our eyes. We believe he's here. And this, this is just reaffirming that he is the one who's with the lampstands. He's fully aware of what each lampstand is going through, the condition of each lampstand. 
not the condition of our service, but the condition of our people, our, our hearts, our spiritual lives. He is, he is very much in the know. Can the walking be us with him? It, it can be. I, that, that, would be a, <clears throat> that would be somewhere in there, in the walking. What do you think holding? He's the one who holds the lampstands, the seven stars, which are also the kind of like the churches. Yeah, Bev. I get the vision of the, when he talks about holding in your hand and knowing him and talk them out of my hand. And in the message, it, it translated as his fist grip that he's holding tightly onto us because nobody can take your salvation. Nobody can take you out of his hand. Yeah, it does convey a, a sense of security. The one who, the one who is protecting us, maybe, you know, kind of conveyed. For sure, we we can put that in there. He's intimately acquainted with us, and he's the one who's holding on to us. We're not going to get blown by the wind. No one's going to come in and snatch the lampstand from the presence of God. So it, it communicates security and protection and intimacy. Anything? Any any other imagery from the holding and walking? I will uphold him with my righteous right hand. The sense that he's got it. He's got it. It's not us being let go. Do what you want. He's holding on. Would you, <clears throat> would you say that's talking about, um, when you say that, I'm just trying to get a further description, like main, maintaining an endurance kind of thing? This is, this is going to stay up because I'm holding it? Security. Okay, so, so secu- yeah, it's a conveying, like you're saying, is very similar to what we had mentioned, the, the protection mm-hmm. type of thing, protection and, um, and intimacy. This, these are strong images. The one who is in the church and knows what each church is doing, knows what people are actually like. He can see behind the curtain, right, if we're hypocrites or not. He is the one protecting us. I put these two together, and the one who is like the maintenance, the priest, priest, is taking care of the lampstand. He's the one taking care of it. He's the one who's going to make sure it's going to stay clean. It's going to keep burning. It's not going to run out of oil. He's the one maintaining. Upholding can also be, I'm going to keep it up. Sustaining. Right? We have, we have all these interesting images of Jesus. He wants us to have that in mind as he corrects the church and builds her up. We need to hold that in mind. He is the one who does that. He is the one who sustains us upholds us, protects us, walks in our midst. He's the one who's going to speak to the church now what it needs to hear. Right? He, this, is, this is him. So it, it brings some weight for us to listen to his message. Were you going to say something, Carol? Carol? I'm just going to say a scripture that comes to me is uh, he who delights in the way of the Lord will stumble, that we will stumble, but we will not fall. And I just like that, that we all stumble, but he's there to hold on to us. Yeah, he, he is the one who can maintain us, yeah. So I think that's neat that the, this whole section on letters, this is what it starts off with. The sustainer, the maintenance, the, ta- the caretaker, he's the one who's going to speak to us now. Not, not just some bully, not some dictator, and not some distant ruler. It's the one who's with us, the one who's intimate with us, the one who knows us and loves us and can sustain us. So there's a difference between someone saying, you need to correct this but has no ability to actually provide the means to do so, you know, like some sort of distant boss who just says, get it done. I don't care what happens, just get it done. Or doesn't provide any help. This is different. This is the one who's upholding us is the one who's going to correct us. So we, we hear that and we begin, 
right into verse 2. Uh, every single one starts with the knowledge of God. I, I know your works, your toil, and your endurance. We don't know what the works are. We don't know what the toil is. And we don't know what the endurance is for the church. We can make some guesses. But for just to conclude, this seems like a church that is doing what it's supposed to do in terms of, uh, I guess, being a lampstand maybe. Uh, it's still working, like your toil, and it's enduring, it's persevering. Yeah, Nick. Also, both stars and lampstands generate light. And uh, in Acts 13, So the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Yeah, maybe, the, maybe that's probably the, um, I don't want to say obvious, but the... Um, the thing we probably didn't even talk about is is the fact that Israel was <clears throat> figured as a lampstand in the tabernacle, and they they would reflect the light. They were the ones who were supposed to hold the light of the world. So that that was Israel's call. That's what Jesus continues with the call to his people is to be a light. So they, the lampstands are a perfect imagery in the Bible of the people of God, as uh, you pointed out uh, there, Nick. So yes, <clears throat> in line with the rest of the Bible, the church is supposed to be this light. And that's what these works, endurance, seem to be what it's, what it's doing. Jesus says you're, you're doing what you're supposed to do to some degree. You, uh, and then he highlights you can't stand evil. Right? You, don't, you don't like those who are doing wrong things. These are all very good things. And uh, you even test those who call themselves to be apostles and are not. So... Many people think this means this church was like doctrinally kind of pure, making purity tests on doctrine. Make sure you believe the right thing, you taught the right thing. Jesus says that's, that's a really good thing. You're rooting out false teaching in, in your midst. And verse 3 to me is like one of the, um, the heavier things that it's hard for me to imagine there's going to be something negative because in verse 3 he says, you've been enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you haven't grown weary. That sounds, that sounds pretty awesome. My task for you, you haven't made it a burden. You've been faithfully doing what you're supposed to do. It's a great, it's a great thing to hear that. So when he comes up with the negative, it's pretty rough, this, uh, this criticism. So I'll, I'll just read it and then let's talk about it some. It says, I have this against you. you um, you've abandoned the love you had at first. Ouch. Remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I'm going to come take your lampstand. So as good as it is, this issue is serious enough that Jesus, the one who walks and holds the lampstands, the only one who has authority to do this can say, I will snuff out your light. You know, if, if this doesn't change, this is serious enough for me that I will snuff it out. So what is this? What do, we, what do we think this is? You know, I, I think it is, um, they're, they're, doing, they're doing the right thing, but their first love, you know, they're not putting him first. They're, they're doers, but their relationship with him isn't strong. Uh-huh. And where scripture says, um, if you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth, you know? That if he's saying that, like, you know, you're, you're not lukewarm in the part that you're doing, but you're lukewarm in realizing who I am and that, you know, I, I demand. <coughs> so, uh, 
what you're suggesting is that first love has to do with their maybe their passion or desire. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, Beth. Okay, similar to what Carol is saying, the love maybe uh, <clears throat> this initial heartfelt burning passion that you had in the beginning has died. That flame has has kind of died to some degree. It looks good. <clears throat> the surface looks good to everybody else, but uh, you know, it's inward. It, it, it's not there. Yeah. So almost hypocritical. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> So that, that's interesting, huh, right? The Almighty, the All-Powerful, the one who walks, the one who knows the church, who maintains it. Like, he's happy with the works, but this is part of where his heart is. Is this So <clears throat> that's an interesting thing about the heart of God, the heart of Jesus, what he cares about, that he would be concerned about. If we take it that way, that the first love, love being something that has to do with the, the relationship with him, or our feelings, or our, our emotions... This this one is um it's one of those that we can almost hold hold it with open hands a little bit, right? <clears throat> the reason I say that is let's say uh, and I, and I do think there is something there. It's valid. This has to do with our feelings, our emotions, our relationship with him. If that were the case, what would you expect the correction to be then? If 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 we're saying first love means your disposition and your emotional what you're bringing before the Lord and those feelings, if, if that is the problem, what will we expect the correction to be? Get rid of the idols in your life. <laughs> okay, may, maybe bring, get rid of the things that are keeping whatever dried up your, your feelings to, to correct them. We might expect something along the lines of, of that to fix it. What we do find, though, we don't find that. What do we find as the corrective in, in the letter? It's in, I think, that verse or the following verse. Remember, repent, and do the works done in first. Yeah, repent, and then the specific is, do the works done at first. Is that kind of what we all have in our Bibles? Yeah. So he doesn't say, like, you know, like, rend your hearts, ask God to give you a new heart, ask him to, to rekindle the fire. He says, do something, right? Works. And in, in specific... It's interesting. I have the ESV here, which probably is a reflects a little bit more our modern translation. So NIV, ESV, all the other ones, and then the King James, which kind of stands on its own in terms of a tradition. And there's a there's a detail in our older translations that uh, make this more clear. But so ours have remember from where you've fallen. I'm reading here. I'm just going with the the cursor. Oh look, I can make it bigger. Repent and do the works that you did at first. I think this is very common, what you just said, Nick. Let's see if I can highlight it somehow. Do the works that you did at first. The King James has do the first works. It's not big difference, but the thing is, first love and first works are in parallel. It's almost meant for you to see them both together. So you left your first love, your first works. 
your first deeds. So there is a hint here that when he says first love, he could be talking about feelings, but what he seems to be getting at is whatever your feelings drove you to do in the beginning. Right? So it's not just, ah, oh, your heart isn't in the right place. It's, it's beyond that. It's, there were things that you were doing before that now you're not doing. So first can also be just the word former, like, the one, like before, so previously. It doesn't have to be necessarily the very first. I think sometimes people get caught up in the first and like, oh, when you were first saved, you had all this passion and zeal. That's, that, could, that could be the case here. But the word first just means the previous. Could mean that there were many previous. Could be the very first one. It could be. But it just means previously. You used to do this, and now you don't. So Jesus is, is telling them, you used to do these things, and I'm watching. I'm watching you. I'm in your midst. And now you don't do them anymore. You stopped doing them. And those were the things that I, that I want you to keep doing. And if you don't, and, but he doesn't tell us exactly what they were, right? That's the frustrating part. Yes. That, that to me thinks about remembering how, how you were rescued, how you were saved, and that the response of someone who realizes that they have just been redeemed and adopted and saved. Mm-hmm. That response, that first response is usually way different than how we behave once we've settled into our. We can get comfortable with. Uh, We, yeah, there's, there, there could be many ways where we could see that that fits in really well. With In the beginning, we, we had a taste, a feeling of, uh, of what it meant to be delivered that was closer to us. And then as, as time has grown on, maybe matured, we've lost a little bit of that. that that's definitely there. And then it caused us to do things that now we've, we don't do. We've neglected something. But what, I guess the point of what I'm saying is it doesn't tell us exactly what those things were that he's so upset about. They, they, they're, they're supposed to know because he says, remember... But it doesn't tell us, oh, remember, and in Ephesians, oh, they used to do this, and so that's why it doesn't, it leaves us a little bit in the blank, in the dark. Well, for me, it's putting the cross, going back to the cross, and it's dying to yourself and allowing him to live. Dying to that which once was important to me is now made new in Christ, where? At the cross, where (coughs) I die to him and allow him to be born anew. So for each one of us, it's going to be so probably the reason it's not defined is because if it were, we would be stupid enough to think those are the only things that he's concerned about. But for each one of us, it's going to be slightly different, and yet all of us are none that much apart from each other. We know what's in our hearts, and we know if what's in our heart is defined through the cross and bringing um, glory to that, or defined in Pam and bringing glory to Pam. Um, and so I, that's one of the things that I love about the Bible. That's one of the things that I love about the fact that of the 12 disciples, there's one that I know the name of. We don't know what his occupation was. We don't know what he did. The whole time he was with Jesus, <laughs> there's not a thing um, that specifically says of him. And why? I think it's because if we knew everything about the 12 disciples, we would be stupid enough to think that those are the only people that God would, would call or use. I think that That's there's a good that, point. Open, um, that open door 
as it were, to allow each one of us to put ourselves there. Yeah, it does. There are holes that we can, some spaces there that we can inject meaning into. And we don't have a whole lot of time now. We do want to close. Uh, but I, I want to suggest that the holes, we should leave empty in, the, in this case and not, not jump to fill them quite yet because we have six other letters and we have the rest of the book is the letter, right? So we jump too quick to, to close it and be like, okay, we've settled it. We have figured it out. But this is just chapters two and three. What if the holes that we find in these letters about, okay, what does that mean? How does that fit? What if the rest of the vision fills that in? Right? What if the visions, that which are part of the letter to the churches, what if these things help us see, oh, that's what Ephesus was uh, falling back on. Because each letter is going to have the same phrase, overcome, right? In response to repent, do what you did at first. The promise is going to be, if you do overcome, in other words, if you do accept my correction and overcome whatever it is that you're having difficulty with, that you're going to find the blessing in that if you respond appropriately. And I think the rest of the vision will add to, oh, so maybe that's what Ephesus was facing. Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Laodicea. Oh, maybe the rest of the vision has some, some of the gaps to fill in for us a little bit more that we can say, oh, okay, that was their challenge. That was rough. I get it now. Because so many of the themes in the letters show up in the rest of the book. It's almost like a way to hook us in. Oh, what does that mean? What, what were they not doing? What if, let's keep reading and see if we can find more hints as to what might that be that they weren't doing. Uh, it might not, because that, that might not apply. Like one church is, for example, their, their seduction to sexual morality, it might apply to some of us, and it, that might be a place in your life like, that's not my issue in particular, to, to that degree where God's going to judge me if I don't stop doing what I'm doing. But there could be other areas in, in, in the process that we look at. I mean, yeah, that, that applies directly. Maybe the most applicable thing would be he's the one who walks and holds the churches. So the correction he gives, it's going to come from a place where I can sustain you. I'm going to call you to do something that I can enable you to do. I'm not just saying, change that. Figure it out. You're on your own. This is the loving priest, the caretaker of the church, the one who fills the lampstands. And we're going to see him enable the church to do what it wants to do if we listen to his call. All right, so that, that might be the, one of the overarching themes is I'm going to give you this message. It's heavy but you, you can carry it because I'm with you. All right, to he who overcomes doesn't mean to he who lifts his bootstraps up and tries really hard, only the winners. We're going to find out that that overcome is, is going to be the one who Jesus is going to enable us to overcome, right? calling us into following him. Where he says, I am the vine, you are the branches, you can do nothing without me. Yeah. Sometimes we feel like, oh, I've got it now, and you run off. Yeah, we're short on time, so we, we better leave it at that or else we'll, we'll just keep dragging, dragging ourselves here for a while. So it is a, uh, that's part of the challenge is reading the whole book together. Right, we get real in-depth in a letter. We can see how that could be fruitful, and then we don't want to get lost there. We want to just keep going and hold, hold some of those things and don't resolve them. So we don't want to 
feel like we've resolved Ephesians and what, does, what did the church have an issue with and then move on. We want to hold it like, oh, okay, there's something here and we want to come back to it so that the rest of the letter can help us think about the specific message to each church. And I, and I do think we, we do get something specific. We all get a challenge in some way or another and it's meant to be uplifting. Jesus knows where we are and knows what we need. He's walking with us and sustaining us. All right. Thank you once again for your time this morning. Thank you. Hope, hope we have a good service upstairs. <coughs>